Hey, hey, everyone. How is everyone doing? It is 2022. Um, it's been 2022 for a wee while now. Uh, I feel like I'm still warming up. What are we, 13 days in? Um, I am really excited to be back. I took a little break. I don't know if, if you're a regular of the show. You probably noticed I took the end of December and, and over Christmas and New Year kind of off, taking a bit of a break, a bit of mental health break. Um, and that's been really great. I'm, I'm excited to be back into uh, the thick of things. And I'm excited to be putting out another podcast today. We've got a great podcast with a, a great guy, Jack Bergstrand. He's a business consultant. And he has lived in the, the large business world for a long time. He really gets the inner workings of how businesses operate. And it's from that perspective, he's written a new book where he looks at Christianity and how it has become a business and how dogma is the main underlying driving force that allows Christianity to operate as a business. Um, and it ultimately has bastardized Christianity. It's, it's, it's um, changed the the whole religion from something that is Christ-like to something that is very... Um, hierarchical and abusive and 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 has a lot of different problems and so it's really interesting to talk about this sort of stuff with jack because he comes at it from such a unique perspective so many of us have lived in the church and jack has also been brought up in the evangelical world but he can see things through a, a lens that many of us don't um, as he looks at it from his kind of um, business consultancy lens um, he, he also talks in his book and we'll talk about this in, in the podcast a bit um, uh, his deconstruction himself and how he has um, kind of come to terms with what he believes um, and the book is all about that as well as it, as it takes apart different problematic components of Christianity um, it hopes to put together something that allows people that do want to hold on to some of the things from their faith um, to rebuild in a, a new and interesting way and so it's not prescriptive it's definitely not a, a uh, this is how to reconstruct or anything like that. But if people are on this journey and they don't want to lose everything about their Christian faith, um, Jack puts forward some great models of how to take apart different components and maybe what parts we can bring forward as we move forward. And so I'm excited to talk with Jack. I'm really excited for this podcast. Before we get started, I want to remind you all the Deconstruction Network is a great free resource for those of you that are going through deconstruction, that are feeling lonely and isolated as you've lost friends and family. It can help you connect with others in your local area. And so I'd encourage you to check out the deconstructionnetwork.com. We're also doing great research through there. You can get involved by clicking on the research tab. Um, it would be wonderful to have you um, and your voice represented in our research um, as we look to change the narrative around people that deconstruct. Uh, we're getting some amazing uh, input through that and we're hoping to put out some more and more great data. And so it'd be great to have you involved with that. And as always, you can support what I'm doing at phildrysdale.com slash partner or patreon.com slash phil drysdale either one's great um, and by donating uh, a small amount every month you help me make this entire enterprise completely free you know the podcast the resources um, talking with people one-on-one -on -one as they process their journey and, and navigate that um, that can be a really invaluable thing for so many people um, and I really am committed to doing it for free. I really believe that so many of us have been abused financially um, by the church, by pastors, by leaders, um, that the last thing I want to do is put any of my help and support behind a paywall. Um, I don't want people to feel, oh, it's another gimmick. It's another book 
conference uh, course, it's another offering, it's another uh, honorarium, it's another tithe, any of that kind of stuff, it, I, what I do will always be free. Um, if it ever comes to a point where I can't do it for free, I won't do it. I, I, I really feel quite strongly about it. And the reason I can do what I do for free is because people do support. Um, and so if you want to get involved with that, that would be really amazing. I'd really appreciate that. As a thank you, you get to plug in on Discord. We've got an online community. We have great conversations about deconstruction and everything else in life. Um, and we also do monthly Zoom and quite a few people do like regular audio chats on the on the Discord channel as well. And so it'd be great to have you in there if you want to join. Otherwise, no worries at all. I'm still always here. Come and find me on Instagram. I'm at Phil Drysdale. I'm welcome anyone that needs to talk and process um, to shoot me a DM over there. Uh, yeah, that's everything. All right, let's dive into the conversation with Jack. Jack. Thank you so much for doing this. I'm really excited. You're my first podcast 2022. Um, <laughs> and, uh, it's, and you're my first that... podcast ever. There you go. Well, certainly in so. 2022. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, I don't know if that's much of an honor to bestow on someone being my first podcast of the year, but um, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm very honored myself to, to do this. I'm excited. You've got a, a book that's coming out. We've been talking about that for a while um, behind the scenes yeah. and stuff, but I wanted to have you come and talk about that. But maybe at the beginning, at the top of this, we could um, maybe have a bit of an overview. Who are you? Why, why, why are you here? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But maybe a bit of like how you got here as well, if you could throw that in the mix. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, you know, I don't know if it's best to go uh, chronologically, but uh, probably at the heart of it is I'm a business transformation consultant. Now, why I got interested in this was because I, in deconstruction more generally, was because I grew up evangelical. Um, <clears throat> I actually had a good evangelical experience. Um, okay. As I got older, you know, I became more spiritual, uh, less religious, uh, and and increasingly saw how Christianity was mutating mm. to be a little bit more toxic, a little bit more political, kind of uh, decade by decade. Sure. And yeah. I... I always felt I was kind of an evangelical at heart, I would say. Um, wasn't extremely dogmatic, but I always wanted to kind of figure it out. And so uh, as, I, as I got older, I wanted to take a, a bit of time, take a look at the faith, look at it not like a theologian uh, or a clergy member, because there are plenty of people looking at it from those perspectives. Right. I felt like there was not going to be progress uh, uh, in those ways because it's hard to change something that you're paid to defend. Mm. And yes. And that's <clears throat> and that's kind of the dilemma. So I looked at at Christianity for myself, but also um, to try to lay it out in more of an independent way, possibly for others to uh, look at it as a system and, and, and then look at it independently as a system so that you can then peel away um, what doesn't seem to make sense. And so I think, you know, with your audience, you know, in your statistics, I think uh, 78% or so want to keep some aspect of their faith as they deconstruct. Um, some don't want 
uh, any aspect of it. And there are plenty of reasons for that. Uh, and so really what the book does is go through my journey of, you know, what's, what's the problem of Christianity? Uh, <clears throat> because it is declining, you know, by, mm -hmm. by any measure. Yeah. It is getting more toxic by any measure as moderates begin to leave and, and fundamentalists stay. And it has, I think, really failed to grow as a spiritual practice. You know, I think, you know, when you look at other, you know, 20% of people in the U.S. Uh, consider themselves spiritual but not religious. Mm. Um, and it's not, and it's not that it couldn't be much more spiritual uh, because Jesus, you know, his, the, even in the, in the Bible, you know, the kind of the key priorities uh, were very spiritual in nature. Yeah. But of course that doesn't translate very well into the dogma. And I guess what I found was that you're kind of taught because of it, it is a business system. You're kind of taught that dogma is the foundation of the faith, mm. but it's really the foundation of the business model of the faith. Hmm. And, and so when you look at the faith through those eyes, it becomes clearer how, how the system can get corrupted. And so, you know, like the, the two key things that occur are a, and it's done in a variety of ways, as you know, uh, don't trust your thoughts. And our church knows the one true way. And you combine those two things and it gives a leader power that almost nobody else could have. Right. And then, of course, you know, bad things can happen when that happens. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you're you're a business guy, right? You you go from uh, the business world, and like you know, if you if you suggested that that was in place in a business, people would very quickly be trying to shut that person down. That or like that organization would need massive <clears throat> overhaul. And yet, it's kind of you know, even if you say that to um, a, a fundamental conventional Christian, if you said, "Oh, well, Christianity kind of holds that you, you probably shouldn't trust your thoughts, and you should definitely trust the the dogma of the church. The church you're in is is right, and it knows what's right for you." Even most Christians would go, "Yeah, no, I, I'm not sure we can trust our thoughts. We need to trust Jesus, and and, and the church is the one that you know these kind of things. Like, it, it, you know, it sounds like an obvious red flag, but actually, even if you said the red flag word for words, many Christians would be like, "Yes, correct, that is right. Yes, that's what we believe." And um, yeah, and do you know what I mean? Some red flags, you go, "Oh yeah, uh, this organization, you know, uh, suggests that it's okay for a man to be in a closed room with this minor uh, and lock the door." You're like, "Okay, suddenly." All Almost any person, even Christian, even like, you know, even like, you know, uh, a pedophile is kind of going, but that's not okay. You know, like right. uh, everyone's going, that's a big red flag. Um, but the church almost defends its red flags that, that you're putting forth, which is a, a fascinating dynamic. I wonder if you could, um, so there's so much there that we, I mean, this would be the podcast, right? Touching on all that uh, world will be kind of unpacking. But something that you said really early on that really fascinated me was that you had a good experience of evangelicalism. And 
Um, I know for many people that kind of track um, different metrics of people starting to leave, starting to see evangelicalism as toxic. Um, we were talking to um, Dr. Tina Shermer Sellers, who works with people who have major um, sexual issues in their marriages. She said that she suddenly saw this huge burst in her Christian clientele. Um, and when she tracked it back, it was people that were starting to um, go through puberty in the early nineties, which is when the purity culture started. And like, mm -hmm. that was for her, she was like kids that grew up in evangelicalism before that didn't have all these sexual issues and sexual trauma and ghosts of the past and things that were bringing into their relationships um, moving forward, but starting the nineties, it kicked off. And so she saw like the nineties being very key as a shift in evangelicalism. And I think a lot of people would agree that other people might go, well, you know, the moral majority coming in was a big thing. I, I, I'm intrigued because obviously, um, you know, I, I don't want to out you, um, but anyone watching the video, you've got a few more gray hairs than me. Um, right. So I'm assuming you've probably got a decade or two on me. Like uh, what, what kind of shifts were you seeing? Cause I'm really intrigued by this. Like, when do you think you started to, even though you were like, I've got a good evangelical experience. I know that evangelicalism in and of itself isn't, um, wasn't the problem. Something happened within evangelicalism, or at least for me, that, that was how you perceived it. That's how I'm hearing you in yeah. some ways. Could you talk about like the shifts and some of the main points that you see as, um, where the problems came in or why the problems came in for you? Yeah. <clears throat> well, I think there are a couple of dimensions. I, I think uh, evangelicalism is a brand. It's not a faith. And so even within evangelicalism, uh, it really depends on your church. And uh, while denominations do influence um, on the Protestant side, of course, there's a lot more consistency on the Catholic side. But the the whole thing about my one true way, for instance, uh, Christians can can see it in other Christians. Mm. They can see, well, that uh, that church is off track, you know, but right. they just can't see it in their own because it gets it gets isolated at a church level. So you can have a very toxic church, you know, a very loving church. Um, but when you put in the element of time, which is, I think, at the heart of your question, there, there was, um, I would say, a purity. So let's, let's go back even because I, I grew up when I, I was a teenager in the 70s. And so um, there was still a purity culture and even the world had more of a purity culture. Uh, sure. at, at that point in time, you know, Woodstock had happened. And so it was less so, but um, the, but it wasn't industrialized purity culture. Mm. And I think what you're talking about in the nineties was an industrialization of it. Um, and, and, and I think that industrialization was made possible by the eighties and the moral majority Ronald Reagan, uh, that it began to be more of a, uh, less of a spiritual practice and more of a political process. Mm. And, and so, and then of course, you know, the Falwells and all of that. And so it really, you know, as you pointed out well, and in, in the whole Christian nationalism movement, um, it is very, it has become very political but what's enabled it to become very political is that it's become very industrial. 
yes. uh, at that level. But that's still, but, but what's really to me fascinating about it is that when you look at Christianity overall, even, you know, even evangelicalism, you know, you come from a charismatic background. I came from a non-charismatic background. They did join together under Trump mm. uh, in the United States, and they were able to do that because of the system behind it. Yeah, because in the old days they wouldn't have been able to do that. They wouldn't have they wouldn't have been able to see that they were part of the same group. And right. and so there has been this industrialization. Uh, purity culture is a good example. Um, but all of it, I mean, but but then again, you know, my good experience, uh, I was a straight white male. And right. uh, and that has a lot to do with people who are defecting and people who are getting more and more militant, you know, as we yeah. look at 2022. Yeah, absolutely. That that's that's really insightful. I think. Um, you know, you mentioned it in just industrialization. I read a statistic somewhere and I can't remember the, the exact details, but I do remember them saying that the purity culture movement is almost, I think it's just shy of being a billion dollar uh, industry, which is astonishing mm. to me that you can sell that many purity rings and true love weights, Bibles yeah. and whatever else. But I mean, it, it, and then, and you look at it on that level and you suddenly realize, wow. Okay. So there is a lot of people in the purity culture movement that, aren't doing this for money. I'd say in fact, most people probably aren't doing it for money. But what's fascinating is there's definitely some people in here that are doing it for some money or at least have a lot of money to lose if it goes away. Yeah, and that's um, all it takes. That's all it takes. It's the same deal, right? right? It's, it's that, right. yeah, most people working for Amazon are probably really good people. But is Amazon doing some really harmful things to the world? Yes. And do uh, some people near the top, high stockholders or whatever, have a lot of money to lose if Amazon decides to change some of its practices to do less harm in the world. Yeah. And that's all yeah. it takes. It's, it doesn't matter how many good people are involved, actually. There's enough few powerful people here that aren't going to change that dynamic. And it feels like yeah. that's a big part of evangelicalism. These, these huge names, these big Christian celebrity pastors, you mentioned the Falwells. I won't mention names too much, but you know these right, big right. identities that... At a certain point, some of them, you do think you feel like you're much more. I mean, the fact that the, it was Gangster Capitalism's podcast did a series on the Falwells, you mm -hmm. know, like it's like they're not even a, a Christian deconstruction. They're a, they're a let's comment on the problems within capitalism. And they picked a Christian university to talk about. Like that yeah. says it all. It's, it says that there is these kind of very problematic late stage capitalism, whatever people views capitalism are, but these late stage problematic components are definitely there at, at, in on the church level where it is a bit of a money-making machine for some people. Um, that's not to discredit the millions of probably Christians around the world that have no desire to make money out of church. And that includes a lot of pastors that are just there trying to help people and right. visit people in hospitals and pray for them when they're, you know, go through a miscarriage or their kids are struggling or, you know, look, there's a lot of great people in this. Um, you and I would be on the same page as that. Uh, and really what I see your book being, and, and a lot of what you're talking about is it's the system. There's a system that plays on the intentions of good people and maybe corrupts a lot of that um, good and turns it maybe into a, um, 
yeah, a, a mechanism that does harm a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, well, Christianity in the United States is a $124 billion industry. And, and when you throw in Christian nationalism uh, and the political side of it, they're, they're actually related, but a little bit different. But, but the same industrialization enables both of them. Mm. And that is there are relatively few people who call the shots. And that's true with any hierarchy. And they are able to conflate uh, interests by taking advantage of those two things we talked about before, as far as uh, don't trust your own thoughts, you know, trust your leader mm-hmm. and your leader knows the one true way. And you're, and, and then corralling those leaders, you know, politically uh, has always been tempting, you know, from mm-hmm. Constantine on. Uh, and, and so that's just, how it has evolved and as it evolves moderates are dropping out uh radicals are staying in and and the church is, itself is is declining and yeah and there's a lot of good that is at risk because of you know really relative dogma is another story but but in terms of leadership and stuff like that relatively few bad apples but it doesn't take a lot of them when you've got mega churches and mm-hmm. major organizations and major political organizations. A very few people can can manipulate, you know, 2.3 billion, you know, around the world. Yeah. Well, I know for me, when I was in charismatic kind of world, um, I was part of a charismatic church and I had charismatic friends. And what's fascinating to me was there was this dynamic where we look to the charismatic superheroes, your Bill Johnson's, your whoever, you know, like yeah. these big charismatic names from Hillsong, Bethel, you know, Morningstar, big, big, um, mostly Americanized mega churches yeah. uh, with these very super powerful, wealthy people, all white males um, and usually white older males, right? I mean, it's just, it's just like right. they all tick the, the, the patriarchy box, really, don't they? Um, but I remember thinking many times my pastor would say things in the pulpit and I talked to my friends afterwards or, um, you know, we talk in leadership things. And a lot of people would be like, yeah, but Bill thinks differently referencing someone like Bill Johnson or, Mm -hmm. Oh, I heard differently from Rick Joyner over in Morningstar. And they would place these big super Christians above their own pastor, which, you know, uh, Hey, I'm all for us using our own personal autonomy to figure out who should have the most authority uh, as a spokesperson. Right. I think that's the problem with some of Christianity is we look to the pastor over, you know, our doctor or something, you know, like some of these cults that don't give their right, kids medicine right. because their pastor says don't give medicine or, you know, so I, I'm all for us thinking about these things and, and deciding who should have more of authority. But I see that being a mechanism at play um, more and more where people aren't even trusting their own pastor. They're, they're kind of jumping the gun right. to these people that are in these huge, powerful positions. Um, and yeah, it, it's very problematic. I, I think of the difference in America and the U S as well, uh, America, US, sorry, America, the U S and the UK. 
Um, and I think, you know, the U S is always uh, growing up in the UK. We always kind of look down on America. Sorry. Um, and right. we were very much like, Oh, that there are people do money, that so. money grabbing business. Like that's how right. we saw pastors. Even when pastors came over to the UK to do a, a revival meeting or something, we'd be like, well, they're just there for the money. Um, now we maybe were on the, the button and maybe a lot of times we weren't, I'm sure a lot of people came over with really good intents to, you know, save the, the UK, which was rapidly becoming an atheist agnostic right. nation. Right. Um, but a lot of them were constantly asking for money, constantly, you know, doing offerings and things like that. And so we saw a lot of that as a big business money kind of organization where a lot of churches in the UK don't operate like that at all. Most churches don't, right. you know, say you have to tithe. Most churches don't get bigger than, gosh, a big church, a really successful church in the UK is 100 people. That's doing really well. Um, and so we yeah. didn't have those kind of mechanisms where um, organizations kind of sprawled out of control and took over. In fact, most churches in the UK, the pastor is very much subjected to the authority of the members. Um, the members, deacons, elders, yeah. there's that structure for sure. And, and there is a hierarchy of the higher up, you got more power. And the pastor had a lot of power, absolutely. But he was yeah. still beholden to the power of the members through elders and deacons. Um, and I was constantly amazed when I went to America and saw that that mechanism was very much turned upside down. Um, it was very much the pastor was all powerful and the elders and the deacons did his bidding. Um, it wasn't that they kept him in check as much as they kind of did. They, they administrated what he wanted to do. Right. Um, and it was, it was much more like a business, right? It was much more like right. um, a CEO talking to um, his, uh, you know, his underlings, the middle managers and heads of departments. It, but in the UK, it felt much more, it was a CEO beholden to a board that was going to keep him in check and he'd be gone if it wasn't too good. Right. Um, right. And that, that, that has always surprised me. And I think I've hit a few roadblocks actually talking to Christians in the UK because a lot of them don't see that mechanism at play. Um, and so all that to say, I think, you know, the, the Christianity is so broad. And like you said, evangelical is so broad. Um, right. And I think predominantly what we're talking about is the mechanisms in play that turn Christianity and evangelicalism into a business, basically, yeah. um, on some level. Um, or certainly a, a powerful organization where very few people are in charge and, and call the shots. Um, right. So you you have a business background. You're very successful in business. Um, I remember the first time we talked and I, I Googled you afterwards and I was like, wow, wow, this guy's been around. He's done a lot in business. Um, and uh, yeah, you, you, you know what you're talking about when it comes to business organizations. You do a lot of consultation with large organizations. Um was there a process in your rising through um, the ranks in business and starting to learn how organizations operated um, that you saw a similar dynamic coming into play in Christianity? Like, how did, how did that come about? It sounds like it wasn't necessarily the case early on that Christianity was always kind of ran as that sort of business structure. Is that fair to say, or, is, or, or was it always pretty much a business model? Um, I think it was always a business model in that there were always hierarchies. What's different is, uh, in my mind, in, in Protestant and Catholic, it, that's, it's different because of the decentralized nature of, of being a Protestant versus the centralized nature of being a Catholic. Sure. Um, and, and so the hierarchy in Catholicism has been pretty consistent, you know, from, from the beginning, but it has its challenges, obviously, uh, as, as well, as you know. Um, 
What's different in terms of, you know, if you go back to the 70s versus now with uh, the Protestant church is that uh, the denominations don't have the power that they used to have. Um, and I think denominations tended to be a little bit more uh, benevolent mm. uh, and more interactive, in my opinion. Uh, what, what really changed, and it gets to what you were talking about in terms of like religious thought leaders and, you know, kind of going over the head in a lot of ways, the, the local minister, Christian radio, Christian television, uh, and, and the mega church. And, and it started in my, you know, as I look at it, it started with, um, people like Norman Vincent Peale and Robert Schuller, uh, who at that point, you know, the, the Crystal Cathedral was like the ultimate Protestant megachurch. It was like, un, you know, unbelievable, you know, and, and he started doing uh, things on television, you know, the seven or, or hour of power in the 700 club, you know, was sort of happening, all of these things. And so you started getting very few people with a very big voice. Yeah. And, and then uh, when the mega church occurred and there's stuff in the book about that, but uh, that really um, industrialized the church for, for Jesus in a lot of respects. And, and there were people involved in that, that, you know, that, that worked with the Hybels of the world and, you know, the Rick Warrens of the world. And, mm. and I think their, their hearts were probably good originally, but, uh, and, and maybe, you know, I guess they all have different situations right now. So I'll assume everybody's heart's good. What, what gets to the problem is the hierarchy mm. and what you're talking about in terms of, uh, people who want to uh, do what whatever somebody's telling them to do, that happens in business all the time. You know, if you're if you're the CEO in a meeting, you just have to look. And so you, let's say you got 12 other people. You just have to look a certain way and they'll take that cue and run with it. And mm. and so there's something about hierarchy that. Uh, it has a tremendous amount of influence when you're working with, with people. And so, um, and that's true in every company, but it becomes much more, uh, much more deliberate when you got a congregation of 30,000 people or, and they don't need denominations. Right. So, right. So it's just a matter of, uh, even with if 80% are being absolutely perfect, the 20% in the 80, yeah. 20 rule can kill you. And, yeah. and it doesn't take a lot of, it doesn't take a lot of corruption to uh, a lot of corrupt people to, to create a tremendously corrosive environment. Mm. Yeah. And dogma kind of enables that because you, you have this unprovable and unchallengeable stuff yeah. and people, 
often use that to control others. Yeah. Well, let's talk about that, Jack, because I know that this is a huge portion of your book. So we're, we're mentioning the book, we're touching on the book. Do you want to give a, a, a little um, uh, introduction to what the book is so that people kind of have an idea of what we're talking about? Yeah, it's it's a book that lays out uh, a, a way to independently deconstruct the faith uh, as a system. And, and so uh, it breaks it down into... Uh, how how this how the system of Christianity works um, at a personal level, and so that people can make their own choice in terms of you know where they go from here. Because it's something mm. that even you know a lot of your research and, and you personally and, and a lot of other people in the deconstruction space. I mean, there's just a lot of trauma and a lot of confusion because the system is so confusing that you it's kind of like it's you against God or something, mm. you know, when you start to, to move away from a particular church. And so the book itself deconstructs the faith like I deconstructed it. So, mm. so full disclosure, it may not be for everybody. Uh, in fact, sure. I know it won't be for everybody, but it looks at it from an independent perspective and it looks at it, through the eyes of somebody who grew up as an evangelical. So when I, when I deconstruct the system, I deconstruct it uh, linked to uh, the Bible in the same way that people who oppress others link their oppression to the Bible. Mm. So that if you were having a discussion with somebody who had not deconstructed you could give them a, a biblical and structural uh, articulation of what you're thinking, and then uh, and then it kind of goes through a, a much. It kind of goes through my journey, which was a much more of a spiritual process. Just as an example, uh, right. and and then it goes on to if you were going to. Part of the problem is the church. If you are going to deconstruct a church, and there are 300,000 churches, Christian churches in the United States, there are only 14,000 McDonald's. Uh, and so when you look at, uh, and, and, and there will be tens of thousands of these churches who go under mm. with the current trends because of the fixed overhead. So, so churches have a choice too. And, and is there a way to rethink the church in a way that's less focused on dogma, more on what Jesus said was most important with, you know, love, connection, service, and less about the sanctuary and buildings and more about the streets, which would also be more yeah. like Jesus. And to do that, you have to be run more like a uh, an effective and an efficient nonprofit organization, which most churches probably are not. <clears throat> and so, so at that level, it, it two thirds of the book is about the individual to kind of think through their own thought process. Then there's a bit on what would a deconstructed church look like? Because mm. there are, you know, I think your research points out as well, you know, like 
60% people in the church are deconstructing. And so as you start looking at, you know, what the repercussions or what the implications of that are, you know, that's something to consider if you've got 300,000 of these things, you know, in the United mm. States alone, and you've got 2.3 billion Christians around the world. Uh, and they're all kind of struggling with the business model not working anymore. Uh, yeah. And then there's a, a Christian snapshot uh, piece, which you've been very kind to, to help with as well. We're, part of the problem uh, that I've seen with, with deconstruction is it's just hard to have a language around it. It's so complicated. When you, when, you try to, when you try to deal with it at the theology level, because you've got all these other things going on mm-hmm. beyond your, your particular church's set of beliefs, and so it becomes like, you know, this and that and this and that and that and oh, this person said that and, you know, all of that. And so, so when you look at it as a system, part of what can, I think, help people who are deconstructing is just to, to, to look at their own belief system, whatever it happens to be, have it laid out on a common framework using a common language see how they have shifted so that they can explain it to somebody else and then have whoever their, their, their peer is, you know, who they're talking to, they can take it too. Uh, it's all free. And, uh, and, and you can start, start to create a language of what your belief system really is around, you know, what's supernatural, you know, how, how, how oriented are you toward the supernatural versus right the literalistic versus the humanistic versus the contemplative. And, and in, you know, five to 10 minutes, you can go through it. You can see, you know, where you ended up. You can see, you know, you use it to see where you started and and where you are today so that you can even in your, in your own mind clarify, because, because it took me years to clarify in my own mind, what I believed. And, Mm. and I was, looking at it without a lot of trauma. And, and so it's a very healthy process. So I, I think the Christian snapshot is an important part of it. I think people sh- should take the Christian snapshot, even if they don't uh, read the book. Um, but when you were kind enough to have some of uh, your folks look at it, what was really interesting to me was that um and I was very consistent with my own journey that people largely who have deconstructed and still, and you, you are good about saying they still want to be a Christian. So it kind of goes back, yeah. you know, to that 78% who still want to keep some part of their faith. Um, but their shift had been from supernatural and literalistic. So very dogmatic religion, mm. more towards contemplative and humanistic Hmm. You know, and so much more uh, like Jesus, uh, but then also much less dogmatic as well. And and so there's just a lot of uh, good information and discussion starters and things like that, that people can begin to just sort through, you know, where they are, where they want to go. Yeah. I I mean, I could see that the Christian snapshot, I mean, 
we worked on it right from fairly early stages and I, yeah. I did it where I did it against myself in the past. I answered as I yeah. would have as a very excited, passionate, conventional yeah. Christian. Right. Someone that was teaching Christianity and showing people how to be a good Christian. And then I did it today of like, what my values, what do I find important? And yeah, I found things like, Oh, what does the Bible say? I don't really care anymore. <laughs> you know, or right. um, do I need to see this supernatural thing or, you know, like, um, and, and yeah, I saw that same shift in myself. Um, but one of the things I thought that was really fascinating about it is you didn't I, I don't know if I could have got my uh, dad to do it and then send me the results because he would be like hey what's up here you know what's going on yeah, right, but I could right. probably answer on some level for my dad roughly guessing where he's at and just looking at the data it put out you go oh that topic is a topic we believe very strongly about together we both agree that we should be serving our fellow human and trying to better their lives and I'm like wow why am I having so many arguments with my dad about what the Bible really says? I could be talking right. about how much we love to help the poor and how we can help, yeah. you know, bring more clean water to this region or how we could, you know, f- feed people through food banks or something like that. And we'd have a great conversation for two hours and it'd be a brilliant family visit instead of the crazy, terrible family visit. Now, if my dad's listening, he's like, but like, we don't have a problem. I, analogy. Okay. Right, so right. I know my dad jumps on this every now and again. As soon as I said my dad, I'm like, oh, this is a terrible analogy because if he's listening, yeah. he's going to be like, what are you talking about? Um, um, but, you know, like these dynamics of, uh, I often say, you know, like we get so fixated on, because we've gone through such radical changes, it's very easy for us to look at the areas we've changed and really demonize those parts of us. Um, mm-hmm. And we see that in our family, in our old friends, and we and we demonize that because it reminds us of who we used to be that we don't like. Um, right. But actually, we can also look at our family and our friends and go, let's look at some of the other parts of them that maybe we don't need to demonize. And it actually can bring right. us closer. And actually, I think as we work on those areas and as we develop and kindle those relationships further, maybe we can now have a bit more of a healthy conversation about the Bible. You know, uh, maybe we yeah. can now have a bit more of a healthy conversation about, um, you know, the nature of God or, or something like that. Um, right. But yeah, I, I think it's fantastic. But the book, I mean, I think it's a fantastic resource. Um, I, I would iterate again, largely for people that are wanting to hold on to some of their Christian faith. But like you said, and the data bears up on this, um, you know, a good portion, about 30% of people at Deconstruct still identify as Christian, like they just mm-hmm. are happy with the title Christian. Um, that's right. a very big number. It's a big, big number. I, I, I was quite surprised it was right. so high because I know a lot of people go, well, yeah, I don't like to call myself Christian though. Like so that the term is stigmatizing. I was, I was surprised. And then a, 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 another chunk of people will go, well, I don't like I identify as Christian and I don't like the church and the organization and these things, but I do like Jesus. Uh, I really right. like Jesus. I like some of what right. he taught us. And, and I think the book targets these two people really well because finding yourself in that place where you want to hold on to something of faith, it's a bit like wanting to hold on to the relationship with your dad's right. And he's, he reminds right. you of all the bits you don't believe anymore. And, and, it, and, it, and it, it's hard. It's hard to be in a relationship when your dad brings up, you know, how he loves Trump or, or, you know, right. how he, right. he doesn't understand. We gave black people the vote. Why else do they want? And you're like pulling your hair out going, what right. are you talking about? It's really hard for you to also go, oh yeah, but me and my dad both love the Red Sox. And we also, you know, help at the food bank, you know, feeding the homeless, you know, like there's these commonalities and things that make my dad a great person. Um, yeah. And, and I think, 
this is very much doing that practice for Christianity. It's, it's, uh, this is how I felt when I was reading it. I was mm-hmm. going, oh, this is helping me to identify what parts of Christianity I really do struggle with. I really do think there are problems. I think my journey tracked a lot with yours. I think a lot of Christians will track with you. Like mm-hmm. you said, it's your journey, so it won't be identical. But right. a lot of the problems in Christianity are probably quite uh, common across the board for people. And people will go, yeah, I don't understand how God could really be good if that's the way that works. Or I don't really understand how, um, whatever, the Bible is in an errant when this is how it was written or whatever. Right. Um, but it also starts to highlight, there is stuff in there, though, that I really do love. And I think that's a problem for a lot of people that want to stay Christian is they, they struggle with that balance and, and navigating that whole process. It's just a really tricky thing to do. It's yeah. really, really hard. Um yeah, I, I think you did really well with it. I, I, I really love it. Um, but what are the, I mean, the, the, what's the name of your book, Jack? Christianity Without Dogma. I mean, that, first of all, uh, it it sounds like a dream. It sounds like a bit of a fairy tale as well, maybe. Uh, maybe a bit of an oxymoron. <laughs> uh, oxy, yeah. um, uh, uh, <laughs> what's that? My brain. Um, never mind. Um, the words just immediately escaped me. Uh, as I said. Oxymoron um, works. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like, you know, it, it, it sounds amazing for most people that grew up in Christianity. If you take the dogma out and you're left with Jesus, following the path of Jesus, living a life like Jesus, loving people like Jesus, I think most atheists would say, yeah, that's probably a relatively healthy thing to do. They might pick here and there and go, I don't like that about Jesus, or I don't think that's right, or I don't kind of like the person of Jesus because he was a bit too this or a bit too that. But on the whole, most people, when you go, what do you think about the person in Jesus? Do you think someone that looked like Jesus would be a good person? They'd be like, yeah, that'd be a pretty good person. I think we could all be a bit better looking like Jesus. Um, I, I think it's it's something we all want to, um, all of us coming from Christianity can recognize there are good parts within us that came from growing up in Christianity to some degree. And I think your book is a really helpful tool in, in integrating some of that stuff. Sorry, I was just rambling, but um, I know you want to jump in, so go for it. <laughs> Um, yeah, well, I think um, there, there are a lot of things that when you look at dogma, and, and so I'll just say dogma is something that is unprovable and unchallengeable, you know, as a, as a starting point. So there are a host of things under it. But there are a lot of ways to relate to dogma. And, and so when you look at uh, you know, even, even some of the, the closely held things, uh, it's, I, I think it can be helpful to ask, if I didn't know this was true, would it really make that big of a difference? Mm. And, and to think about the Bible not as the foundation of the faith because the Bible came in late, you know, it's only been around for 500 years or so, but as an input to the faith, a history of the faith. And, and so you can relate to dogma at, in a variety of levels. And I think this is where a lot of your work on spiral dynamics has been so brilliant. And I think a lot of it can be applied here that you can take these um, these things that are in the Bible and as, and they, the first thing is what, what's the model that you're using to interpret it? 
And you can use in, in the model that I use in the book is what did Jesus in the Bible prioritize as most important? And it came down, at least in this model, to love, connection, service. So if you read the Bible through a lens of love, connection, service, uh, and, and in a Jesus-centric way, what, is the, what does the Bible say to you? Now, you can just as easily as you know, use a different model, and a lot of people right. do, and, and interpret the Bible quite differently. Uh, but that, that is a choice, and, and it's not a choice that comes down from God. It's a, it's a choice that men have created. And, mm. and so that's, that's really part of it. I would say, you know, I, when, I, when I, I went through the process, I went through it in a spiritual but not religious mindset, a fundamentalist mindset, and uh, an atheistic mindset or a rationalist mindset. And I, and I looked at it three different ways. And I think one of the, one of the things that you mentioned that even atheists would think Jesus was a pretty good guy. Um, the, there's a, there's a beauty of rationalism that is actually part of the solution, I think, to making Christianity better than it is. Mm. And and so one of the things that, you know, declared atheists uh, struggle with, and usually they're atheists in the sense that the definition that Christians have given God makes so little sense that they just can't accept that. And so they just mm. go on. But unfortunately, that filters into a whole bunch of different things within the church. Um, but they starve for traditions they starve for community mm -hmm. and they are often spiritual, but not religious, you know, even with, you know, Sam Harris with waking up uh, with sure. his meditation app is, is wonderfully spiritual yet. He's kind of at the vanguard of uh, religious criticism and mm -hmm. atheism. And, um, and I think we should, actually listen to some of those debates that happened after 9-11. And I think uh, we can all learn from them. Uh, and so I do think rationalism matters. I think you can relate to dogma in a variety of ways. And you and kind of to your spiral dynamics, you can relate to dogma at, at, at a variety of levels. Yes. And the same dogma when you look at it literalistically uh, and you look at it with a business model that's based on original sin can mean mm. something quite different from a verse when you're looking at it through the lens of love connection and service yeah. and you're looking at it at a more spiritual humanistic uh, contemplative in, in that way, you know, instead of um, whatever uh, you're, your fundamentalist minister, you know, says it says. Yeah. yeah. I think, you know, that's, that's, that's the key, isn't it? You know, like these kind of key components of love, connection, service, like 
everyone wants to be loved. Everyone wants to be connected to the people around them. And, and everyone at Core Value wants to be able to serve other people. We, we're very generous by default, whether right. that's evolutionary, by creation, you know, you could argue that yeah. all day, but by default, humans desire to do generous acts um, and, and, and serve those around them. Um, you know, the, the, the old adage of it's better to give than to receive, it, it, it comes from a very real <clears throat> raw place that, um, you know, maybe evolutionarily we, we survive because we give to the group, we give something of ourselves, we, we serve a function in the group, or maybe it's God going, I want them to be like me and I'm generous, you know, right. whatever the right. reason, I think that we're all driven to have those three things within us. Um, and I think those three things don't inherently have to be on any level religious, you know, that I, most atheists I've ever met are very loving, very connected to people around them and they serve their communities, other people, their families, their friends, um, strangers, you know? Um, and so I think those three things are really fascinating to me because they open up, um, spiritual practices we might see and, and spiritual possibilities without, them being tied to something that's deeply religious. Now, I know a lot of people don't like the division of spirituality and religion. Um, for me, I would just say religion is, is dogmatic at its core. You know, it's an organization driven by, you know, the unprovable. Um, whereas spirituality is just how we frame this world. And, and so like, I, I leave it nice and open, you know, atheists frame the world. So they have a spirituality and they engage in that um, level. Um, but I, I am intrigued, you know, by some dynamic, by some, by some metrics, people would look at, you know, what you put forth in the book, you kind of lay out, okay, so let's get rid of this dog, you know, but it's not serving us in a very positive way. Uh, it's unprovable anyway. It, it, you know, if we can take this to the side and go, well, it's unprovable. So let's yeah. put it to the side. Um, Christianity radically transforms overnight. You know, it becomes a very different thing. Um, I guess the question a lot of people would have is, is it Christianity still, you know, it, what what is it? Because if atheists are also able to practice this, if a if a Muslim can look at those tenets and practice it, um, they probably wouldn't identify as Christian. What would be the difference between that person and the person kind of engaging in um, kind of what you're deconstructing here? Because I know you'd identify as a yeah. conscious Christian, don't you? Um, yeah. uh, which I think is a very beautiful way to put it, and I, and I, and I like that. I, I, you know, a, a Christian from a much more a conscious perspective than a dogmatic perspective. Sign me up every day. I want to talk to that one. <laughs> right, right. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Do you want to kind of well, touch on that? What you think about, um, are you, are you redefining Christianity? Are you giving a, a separate thing, a label of Christianity? Um, Cause I know a lot of Christians would look at you and go, boy, he's just not a Christian. Is he, you know, you, without right. original saying without this, without that, you're not a Christian. Right. Um, so there's a lot there. Uh, one, one, you know, we talked about spiritual versus religious. I think religion is sort of the organization uh, that can activate uh, something that's spiritual. And so, so you can be sort of a, a and, I, and I think meditation is hugely important, but I think you can be spiritual and not make an impact. Uh, you can be religious and not be very spiritual, but if you can combine spirituality and organizational uh, strength, then you can scale in a way that you can't possibly scale, you know, as a lone ranger. Absolutely. Um, so are you a Christian? 
Well, it depends uh, how you define Christian. And, and that's not a new problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, and even within Christianity, you know, there are many, many, many different denominations. And Christians do that to themselves. So it doesn't bother me that they would do that to me. Uh, right. and, and so the question to me is, do you want a Christianity that looks more like the Pharisees in the New Testament? Or do you want a Christianity that looks more like Jesus in the New Testament? Mm. And I think what this one does, when you start looking at law, a love fulfilling the law and, uh, and kind of the key things that Jesus represented, which I'll just say uh, love connection and service for now and not nitpick every single little verse in a Bible that's, that was never designed to be written as a single body mm-hmm. uh, is, is a way to, to, take Christianity from something that's based on beliefs to something that is more of a spiritual practice. And that is uh, much healthier at an individual level. And I'm hoping at some point could be much healthier at an organizational level. Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. And I think, you know, it hits the nail on the head that, that you know, we did this our whole lives as Christians, right? We always looked at the yeah. church down the roads and went, right. well, yeah, but they raise their hands when they worship. So they're not a real Christian or right. uh, they've got a drum kit. They're not a real Christian. They've got a gay pastor. They're definitely not a real Christian, whatever it was. Right. Yeah. And what I think what's interesting to me, the mechanism at play there was it wasn't individuals choosing who was a real or not real Christian. It was the organization. Um, and I think what's fascinating about your model is it puts the, the, the ball in the individual's court and says, do you want to be a Christian or not? You get to choose right. how to build that framework, but do you want to build your life around this person, Christ? Um, you can raise your hands, whether you like it or not. If you worship, you could not worship. It, it, it's it's right. up to you. You know, you do what you do, but it's in your control. Now it gives power to the individual that has for most of human uh, history while we've had Christianity, it's been in the power of some organization. Um, I think that's a really, it's a, it's a healthy evolution, right? It, it gives power to the autonomous person. If we talk spiral dynamics, it's a shift from blue to orange. You know, it's suddenly right. like, whoa, I get to choose. I get to pick. Whoa. Um, and that's yeah. scary. But then you realize, well, that's what the organization has <clears throat> been doing. They've been picking and choosing anyway. It's not like they had some actual, like, you know, uh, cheat sheet from God's going, this is the right way to interpret the Bible. Right. They've been just picking and choosing how to interpret the Bible as based on right. their organization. Um, so yeah, no, I, I think it's, it's really fascinating, but I do know that I can imagine a lot of people that would be their first thing, especially Christians would be, oh, right now we'll put them over there with the progressive Christians with the, you know, whatever. Do, do you see yourself as a, a progressive Christian? You know, when you see that kind of term thrown around, do you think that embodies kind of like where you're coming from? It's, it's, I would say it's closer, but, but the whole, I mean, what's funny to me about, you know, fundamentalists and, you know, progressives aren't real Christians and, and um, it's, it's simply a manifestation of don't believe your thoughts and we have the one true way. Mm. And it's, it's really no more than that. Uh, So if, if, if they're not you, they're not a real Christian. Mm. And so because, you know, fundamentalists 
punch above their weight uh, and have so much uh, power, uh, they tell their people that that's the slippery slope of being progressive. And their people begin to believe it. And, and so it spreads in that way. It's not, I don't think true, but it is, uh, it is just something about the we know the one true way problem. Uh, I think it's, it is more progressive, I would say. Uh, the one thing about, but it might even be post-progressive mm. because uh, progressive Christianity does whack off some of the rough edges of dogma, but it doesn't really challenge dogma at a fundamental level. Mm. And, um, and so I think what Christianity without dogma does is create a spiritual practice where you can define your faith based on what Jesus said was most important for a personal practice. And then if there are enough people who want to do that, then if they deconstruct a church, then you would have an organization who's saying to us, this is what Christianity sure. uh, means. Yeah. A question for you. And uh, I feel like this has been an interesting question um, because I know you, you live in the business world, but we talk about, you know, one person does this and that's wonderful. And then they talk to their mates and they do it, you know, maybe a few don't, and they never see them again, but you know, a, a few people mm. start to do this. And before long, there's 10 people, there's 20 people, there's 30 people, and they're getting together to talk about these things, to meditate together, to, you know, volunteer or start a food bank or, you know, homeless shelter or something, you know, they're doing all these conscious, um, humanistic and, um, uh, my brain, what's the fourth one? I'm clearly not awake today. Um, not literate, contemplative. That's the one. Yeah, I went yeah. with it for the meditation, but yeah. yeah. So they're starting yeah. to do these things together. They're they're navigating towards basically starting a new movement, organization, something like that, right? Because you don't get thirty people together to feed the uh, the sick and you know to collect money to buy shopping to get all the foods to to get flyers out there so people that know that they can have somewhere to take care of or whatever like that doesn't really happen without a fair bit of organization without some people taking responsibilities right. these kind of things and before long um you have something like maybe the progressive church right you know the, the people that were the the fathers of the progressive church these different uh figureheads they were out on their own at some point right just doing it just them they believed this and they were like right. oh, no one else believes like this um and then people turns out did believe like that and before long they become these kind of organizations but as you said a lot of the time they can be a bit dogmatic how do you uh, perceive an organ? I know you touched on this a little bit in the book, but how do you perceive an organization running that isn't beholden to dogma, that doesn't go, well, this guy is in charge. This guy says the way it should be. That, that does almost say kind of very horizontal, very flat, almost anarchistic in a, in a way where um, every person uh, has their own autonomous valid say of what they believe, how they want to practice um, to the average person that's grown up in a church. That sounds absolutely impossible. Like they couldn't even figure out right. how they would get together on a Sunday. How would it work? You know, what would it look like? Do, do you, do you see it working? Do you see church changing to be, I guess let's, 
there's two dynamics here, I guess. One is one emerging from people that have split from a church and it being created. And I think that's almost a completely yeah. separate thing. That, that sounds easier, but right. pretty damn hard. Um, right. But the other option is, you know, a church actually as a whole deconstructing, maybe leaders deconstructing. Uh, I think that's a whole other thing of leaders starting to go, hey, we're going to hold things much more open-handedly. And I've been a part of churches that have done that. And some have gone very yeah. well and a lot have not gone well at all. And it's ended up in coups being thrown and all sorts of you could write movies honestly it's crazy yeah (laughs) but how do you see these kind of dynamics getting played out um from an organizational perspective um organizationally uh no one will change uh until they have to that's just the nature of organizations but you have in the u.s as i mentioned before three hundred thousand. probably 10 years from now if they don't change, 10% of them will be out of business. Mm. And, you know, if you take a look at the trends and, and start to extrapolate, then necessity is going to become the mother of invention. And so you can either double down on an old business model that's no longer working for you and struggle, or in those cases where you've got a collective group and this kind of gets back to your statistic on, you know, so many people who are in the church who are deconstructing. There can be an environment where just one group at a time, uh, possibly one church at a time, uh, can retool these assets uh, and retool them in a way that is more about uh, the community and more about what's happening in the streets mm. than it is about uh, who's in who's in charge within the organization itself. And I think there's a lot of promise in that there's just so much tradition that can be leveraged. You know, like like I I think the the body of Christian music. Christian tradition, Christian holidays, Christian, you know, <clears throat> all of the, the, in some cases, liturgy, none of it really needs unprovable and unchallengeable dogma. If you look at it in a lens of love, connection, and service. Mm. And so <clears throat> will it be easy? No. Will it happen? Possibly not. Is it possible? I think it is. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I've seen it happen. I've had people on my podcasts where they are yeah. pastors off churches where it has happened and seen incredible things. I mean, even the church I was a part of before this, um, uh, yeah, before um, I, I left it, uh, the church I was a part of before I left it, that's a weird yeah. <laughs> way to say it, but, yeah. um, they had pastors that were very much like, we don't want to be in the limelight. We don't need to be preaching every Sunday. We want other people in this congregation to preach. In fact, a lot of times we don't want anyone to preach. Let's have discussions. Let's pass mics around and chat and let's ask questions. But then there's not one person in front giving answers. We ask questions, but we give answers as we pass the mic around with different people sharing different thoughts about different. And it, and it created such a open, healthy environment where people could share their fears, their doubts, but know that other people would immediately pick up Michael. I've worried about that before as well, actually. And I'm quite concerned. Here's some things that have helped me, but I'm still worried as well. Does anyone else have thoughts? And 
events. Yeah. It was such a beautiful environment where there was there was people in charge. There was people arranging the coffee and um, you know making sure it was a sound system, making sure that it happens. Um, there were people meeting with people that were sick in hospital and you know and, and different things. Some of those things needed structure and they needed salaries. They needed whatever. Other things maybe didn't need that, and that could be even more decentralized as, as things went on. So it's, it's possible. Um, but it's really hard for a lot of people. I know a lot of people, even in that church, didn't see it as a good thing, right? They really struggled. Some people really right. didn't like that, you know, when someone picked up a mic and said, you know, well, what's the nature of eternal life? Do people go to hell or not? I'm, I'm freaking out because I just don't see how God can be good. If they pass that to a, a pastor, a pastor would be like, well, hell exists and this is why you got to burn in hell if you don't do this or whatever. Or maybe they'd say hell doesn't exist. I don't think it actually matters what they'd say. I think it mattered that it was one person to tell you and everyone would go, ah, oh, okay, good. But when that mic passed around and eight different people shared eight different views on the afterlife, the ninth person sat there going, I am freaking out because I want a answer. Um, and not just the ninth person, maybe the 10th, 11th, 12th, 13th, 14th person all starting to freak out. It's, it's a big chunk of people. I think there's a, a component at play in the church where in some ways the system creates uh, a dynamic where people need certainty. But I think in another way, people that need certainty have created the system. Um, do you know what I mean? I think it's a very chicken and egg situation mm-hmm. on some level. And I think I think it's going to be really hard for a lot of people to, to do Christianity without dogma. Do, do you know what I mean? Like, I think a lot of people are very comfortable. And if you, I mean, this is why when you talk about Christianity, a whole bunch of people go, well, you're not Christian because they need to know that I am a Christian. And if you're a Christian, right. I, I might not be. So I need to discredit you somehow. Um, and I think th- that's the the fascinating part about this is, um, and this goes for talking about race, talking about sexism, talking about um, all kinds of different issues, is the system is made up of people and the people have been shaped by the system. And so when we try and challenge these systems, when we try and change these systems or even completely destroy these systems, people get very defensive. People don't like it. Um, and I think it's going to be a really interesting dynamic to see how many churches manage to, to navigate that, to weather that, how many churches want to, I think, you know, right. and so the church I mentioned, the church I was a part of, the reason we're no longer a part of it is eventually those pastors retired and there was an open, very, you know, quite anarchistic, very horizontal leadership. Everyone was there. The whole church was like, who are yeah. we going to get as new pastors? Who's going to lead us? What are we going to do? And it went really south, ended up really backwards. And they basically went back to a very dogmatic way of doing church. And we were like, yeah. okay, well, we'll just leave them. But there was enough people that were uncomfortable with that model that they were more powerful than people that didn't want to be dogmatic, didn't want to force control in a way, people that want to force control will often very easily overpower those that don't want to force control, right? Um, yeah. And so I think this, these are some really problematic components at play for Christianity if it's to survive. You know, I, I think your 10% statistic, that's <laughs> pretty generous. Um, yeah. I just said it probably a much higher number, but I, I don't know. I, I, I see it from being over in the UK where, you know, some parts of the UK, 2% identify as Christian. It, yeah. it's, it's such tiny amounts in some of the parts of the UK. Um, and, you know, we, we were starting to see the sort of exodus that America's seeing. We were starting to see that, gosh, 70, 60 years ago. Um, yeah. And the, the drop-off is sharp on our, on, our sca- on our scales when you look across like right. government pollings and surveys. And 
I wonder, I, I don't know. America is such a different nation. It, it really is so unique. Um, it's really hard to look at other countries and go, will it follow the same trajectory? Will it do it differently? I don't know. You know, they're doing it in the age of the internet, whereas we did it in the age of, gosh, World War II just finished. You know, so it's, we, we, right. we had different resources. We didn't have a, well, if I'm not this type of Christian, I can be a different type of Christian. It was just like, well, I'll just be an atheist. <laughs> like That was like two options almost, uh, whereas now people have the yeah. internet and stuff. But yeah, I, I don't know. It was kind of a rambling, but jump in, please. Yeah, well, I think, <laughs> they're, I, I, think they're, <laughs> I think they're important points. You know, I think um, part of the, of the purpose of the book is that it, it can lay out a thought process that someone or some group can go through and decide where they land. Um, I think the Christian snapshot can also help, you know, even at a, at a group or a congregational level, just to put, so you're not spinning around trying to decide what it is you're actually trying to say, to try to say, okay, here's, here's what we believe as a group. Uh, let's talk about that. And it won't be the first time that somebody split off from a church and created another church. That's how we got 300,000 of them, you know, here in the United States. But, but uh, I do think uh, the book and Christianity without dogma or Christian consciousness in general is not for people who believe Christianity is perfect just the way it is. And it is not for people who are paid by the church to defend the faith. It's really for people who are deconstructing, who think there's a better way, who think, who are not reacting uh, against the church being like Jesus, they're reacting against the church being unlike Jesus. Mm. And so, uh, it would happen one person at a time, one group at a time, one church at a time. Mm. <clears throat> but if you, if you follow the trends, you know, the alternative is, you know, there will be, uh, it's not like there will be a middle way. There will be uh, just a very shrinking body and, and the rest of it, you know, because there's because there's no uh, reasonably conscious alternative, <clears throat> then they'll just leave, and that's essentially what's happening right now. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah, I I, I agree, and I think I, I get excited seeing different um, communities arising, different ways of doing church, different ways of gathering. Um, you know, me and my wife talking about this over the pandemic, you know, it's been really hard to see our friends and me and my wife are probably more risk averse than most um, but regarding that me even more so than my wife probably. Um, and, and that's been different in how it affects community. And, and you do start to go, oh, I miss. So before the pandemic, we would get together at least once a week with our larger group of friends and meet for brunch and we do something active, do something like that. And, or, but frequently multiple times a week, we were doing that. And to go from that to nothing, it starves you. It really hits you hard. And it was a good reminder for me of how hard early deconstruction can be. Um, Cause I, I'm quite disconnected from that, that a lot of people go through that all to nothing, you know, that regular scene right. multiple times a week to nothing. Um, 
And I do think that that's a, a real starvation of, of, of connection and of community. Um, that's the number one metric people consistently say they miss. Um, and so I, I think, you know, from a business perspective, I look at it and go, pastors would be nuts not to adapt. Um, but of course, it's not to the pastor. It's not a business. It is this very uh, embodied faith that I'm doing just the right way. And if that's if, if doing it the right way is how you're saved and you go to heaven, it takes a big step to go. Maybe I've been doing it the wrong way. Right. Cause that's, that's questioning. Was I even saved? Was I even right? Cause if my dogma is what saved me, it's it's a real challenge to unpack that. But I think you're right. That organizations tend to change when there's enough pain. Um, You know, I think once churches get to the point where there's 10 members, they start to go, you know what, you know, once churches get to the point where the, they're deciding, should we turn on the heating this Sunday or should we tell people to bring blankets? Um, You know, they're starting to go, maybe we need to adapt. Maybe we need to change. Now, sometimes the ways they change is ridiculous, right? It's like, well, let's open a coffee shop. And it's like, that's why the millennials left the church. They can get coffee before the service. Um, You know, sometimes you're like, oh, oh, now you've got a smoke machine. People will come flooding, I'm sure. Um, But I think there is probably more and more people that are are questioning. And And I think I personally behind the scenes, people don't see this, but I talk to pastors every day. I I talk Mm. to a new pastor probably at least once every two or three days. Um, Mm. And I'm talking to regular pastors daily, all the time talking to them. Um, And they're going through the same hard process, but even harder because your whole, you know, financial life and everything is built into your house. Your tragedy. Yeah. yeah. Um, But what's interesting is those pastors, most of them don't want to completely up and leave um, at least right. not their faith. And, and a lot of them would love to bring their community on with them. And, and, and I think we can all say the same when we started to deconstruct, we did think, Oh, it'd be great if my parents believed like this and, and went on this exciting journey with me as well. If, you know, what's maybe more healthy and more whatever. Now we all know then what happened when you told your parents, right. <laughs> or, or we all know why we didn't tell our parents. Cause we also knew that it would end everything and it would blow up. Um, so it, it's this very complex component, but I think there is a lot of pastors out there that want to change. There's a lot of pastors out there that desire that. I think the question is, do you, can you, conf- uh, can you change the organization or do you need to start a new organization? I think that's often a very big uh, question. And I, I'd probably lean to the second dynamic. I think that's very likely. I, I've seen actual churches close and then plant themselves the next week as a new church yeah because they see it as a you you have to have this clean line um and what's funny is most of them are identical you know they've changed right. nothing <laughs> maybe a different elder or something um but it it's it's a really fascinating topic and, and it's one that's close to my heart i think it's close to most of our hearts because we you know we grew up christian we we we, we are deeply involved in this you know um a lot of us see a lot of healthy components. I was thinking about the food banks in the UK. We're in a terrible situation with our government and um, poverty is through the roof right now. And there's a huge amount of people in the country that can't feed themselves. You know, in a country of 60 yeah. plus million, I think it's about 4 million people every week rely on food banks. They would not be able to feed themselves and their kids yeah. if there wasn't food banks. But what's yeah. interesting is the government doesn't put those food banks on. Christians do. Most of the food banks in the UK are run by churches. Uh, they're funded by churches they're they're volunteered by churches now lots of other people atheists agnostics get involved with these absolutely and there's plenty of the organizations that aren't christian but the majority of them are and you'd be hard pressed to say ah 
they're a bunch of dicks. What terrible people, you know, they're, they're great yeah, people. No, wonderful. It, it, and it's, it's such a complex, complex thing that, um, that we're navigating. And, um, I, I love that you're diving into the weeds of the complexities and you're, you're kind of tugging out these big weeds of dogma, uh, that, 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 that go unchecked questions largely, um, and, and I think those are the things that need to go so that we can start looking at what can be saved, what can be brought forward with us. Um, these are the big yeah. things. I think, yeah, because I, I think organizations are a big part of this problem, but they're also a big part of the solution mm-hmm. for the reasons that you're talking about. You can't, you can't help, you know, a million or two million or however many people, uh, without organizations. So organizations are important and, and, and dogma has turned into a, a catalyst for people leaving the faith as opposed to people uh, growing the faith in most mm-hmm. cases. You know, and you know, every church is different. I don't think any church, it's, it'll sound crass maybe, but any church that's making money is not going to change what they're going to do, mm. period, whether they think it's the right thing or not. But those who are, are struggling or people who are, are moving somewhere else, then I think um, taking a look at Christianity without dogma uh, as organizationally, which is a chapter on that, mm. uh, is, is something to at least look at but i think um when you look at at the book itself i mean i did believe that dogma was the foundation of the faith Mm, me too no doubt and and so with the book and so i i write the book in a way uh as if i were talking to my pastor and you know in 19 75 on how I got here. And, and so I piece by piece go through um, a dogmatic view to a non-dogmatic view of Christianity through the book. And then when you take the Christian snapshot, whether you read the book or not, it at least gives you a language and a framework for thinking mm-hmm. about your own journey. And from what I've seen, and you've helped me a lot with this uh, personally, Phil, I mean, people are who are deconstructing are in a very bad spot because they've got everything that they believed was true uh, growing up to a certain age. They've got a ton of peer pressure and parental pressure and all sorts of other pressures um, not to change. It's a very complicated subject. Uh, part of them would just rather stay and, and not, you know, bite the man. Uh, but there's another part of them that in their heart, they know they just can't live with themselves anymore. Mm. And so how do you get from, you know, where you want to go f- uh, from where you've been. And I, and I don't think that there's a path to Christianity uh, without going through a process like that. The, the other path is deconversion. Mm. And, and so if you don't want to deconvert, 
then this is a path to at least consider. Yeah. I think what's fascinating to me is I've not met anyone that wanted to deconvert, right? I've met a lot of people that have, like so many right. people. Um, right. But I, I, you know, if you, if you grew up in the church of the Christian, deconversion is scary, right? I mean, that's the scary, right. do not go there, you'll go to hell kind of idea. Right. You need to deconstruct right. a lot of different ideas before you're in a place where you're even comfortable talking about or thinking right. about deconverting. Um, and I think what I find um, with your book is I think it will be really, really helpful to so many people that are in that place where they don't want to deconvert. They want to, you know, see what, what can be salvaged. How do I work through the the process of what is Christianity? Um, you know, what, co- what comes, what goes, uh, why are we here? Like, how can we right. maybe build something more beautiful on the other side? And I think of the people that do that, I think there'll be a large percentage whatever it might be, 15, 20, 40% that then keep moving and ultimately deconvert or, or move into something else. Maybe go into Buddhism mm-hmm. or, or atheism or agnostic and they just go, no, I, I don't, I'm not a Christian. Jesus thing's not for me. I don't know why right. I am. I'm spiritual, religious, whatever it might be. There'd be so many different things. Right. But I do think a lot of people will land. I, I, I see this again and again and again, that people that deconstruct often land somewhere within Christianity. There, there's, mm-hmm. Of course, there's a lot of people that still identify as Christian that are deconstructing that, you know, haven't outed themselves, haven't left their church, haven't, right. um, or maybe are just at the baby stages of, of that process. And so, of course, that's going to skew the numbers. If, if, you know, if we said like everyone starts in London and you have to walk to, you know, somewhere outside of London, and then we said, well, 30% are in London. Well, of course, they've just started, you know, right. or, you know, so right. to some degree, like I think the numbers will right. always skew to be more Christian. But I think whatever numbers we look at, there's going to be a good portion of people that will, like you, go, there is a way to do this more beautifully, more authentically, um, more autonomously, um, one where I um, am the, I'm the, the master of my own uh, faith right. and, and, and identity and, and pursuit of God, the divine spirituality, bettering humanity, um, you know, bettering myself, whatever this looks like. Um, and I think your book is is really uh, fantastic for that. I I I I know there's a couple other books similar. I know Mark Harris is a book mm-hmm. I talked to him about that, and and uh, Keith Giles has um, touched on this in some of his writings. Like, but I think what you've done is really really clever in that taking people through your own journey of the the spiritual uh, process of untangling yourself from dogma, um, but also the hopeful possibility of moving into something um, that that looks less dogmatic. I don't know. Maybe it's dogmatic in a, in a good way. I don't know. We could say that love being the answer is unprovable, I guess, as well. In some right. way. But, but if we're right. going to be picking something unprovable, let's pick love. Let's pick connection. Right. Let's pick serving fellow humans, you know, or, right. or the planet and, and others. Like That just makes good sense. If we're going to pick something unprovable, let's not pick, let's go and uh, picket the gays or attack, you right. know, whatever, right. you know, Absolutely. I don't know. Pick some group that Christians love to attack, you know, like yeah. what a terrible way to be undogmatic, un, you know, be dogmatic. Just picks like way more healthy would be a much better option. Right. And I think you give people a great path to do that. And so I think people listening like um, that, they, they go, Oh, that's what I need. And I think there'll be a lot of people that do. Um, I really think your book is for them. Um, there's maybe people that find themselves post that journey. They've, I really mm-hmm. tried to stay Christian and I couldn't, I, I think some might, get benefit coming back and revisiting, but a lot won't. And so I, I, I right. wouldn't push that on. I know you're not pushing it on anyone uh, to do that, but I, I really am excited and I'm really hopeful. I, the Christian snapshot thing, you touched on it there of like how it could be used in a church. Um, I think we talked about this briefly, but I got so excited about this idea of like, what does it look like for a pastor 
to just put every person in their congregation, can you fill out this survey? And it's completely anonymized. The pastor doesn't know who it is. And he comes back and he looks at the results and it says 70% of your congregation rally around helping people. That's what they really want believe this faith right. is about. And he's going, God, I haven't talked about helping people from the pulpit for four months. What am I doing? Right. I'm talking about, you know, why the Bible is the word of God and 42% don't even believe the Bible is word of God and 30% say it's not that important either way. And you go, gosh, what am I doing? Like maybe, maybe they double down, right. maybe why well, I need to really right. preach this so they believe it. But, uh, but I think it could be really helpful um, for a whole bunch of people in these different uh, places, right from the pastor who's in there struggling, wanting to change things right through to people that are in a position you're saying, it's like, you know, tearing your hair out is just a really hard process to go through. This is not right. a fun process. And I think the beauty is that you have navigated this for many years now. You've kind of yeah. um, got to the point now where you can look back at the process and kind of articulate it really uh, well. Uh, and so, yeah, I'm really, really excited about it. Is there anything else in the book that you kind of want to touch on or, or some of the themes of the book? I'm trying to wrap my brain. I feel a bit out of it today, <laughs> um, but we've got probably about 15 minutes or so to be. Yeah. Well, I, I think this, I mean, it, I think it covers it pretty well. I mean, what you've done, uh, I think, you know, again, you've helped a tremendous amount for this and I have to thank you personally. Um, it wouldn't have been uh, anywhere near the book that it is had you not helped and given your insights and reached out to your community and, uh, and it just helped a tremendous amount. Oh, well, thank you. Uh, honor, absolute honor to help people in this. And, and for people listening, some of you did help Jack in the creation of this book by taking part in his Christian snapshot and stuff like that. Um, but yeah. Oh, well, Jack, I reckon we should um, probably finish on a high. And, um, <laughs> if people, so the book is out for pre-order. Is that right? It's out for pre-order uh, uh, as we speak, and it'll be available uh, for sale on Amazon uh, at the end of January. Right. And Christian Snapshots available 24-7. So okay. ChristianSnapshot.com. And if somebody's interested, they can take the survey and go, go through 28 different characteristics uh, and uh, they'll get their report immediately. That's brilliant. And there's so many ways to engage with that as well. I've not looked at the website recently to see if you kind of highlight that, but like you can do the Christian snapshot and compare yourself to yourself in the past. You can do it and compare itself to your mother-in-law. You can do it and compare right. it to your pastor or someone, or you could do it just at the church and, and, you know, see where are you changing and how are you identifying in comparison to like the organization you're a part of. Um, yeah. And I think yeah, even, really you helpful. know, Two like two people who are are living together and are yes. deconstructing uh, either together or one's deconstructing and one's not. You know, just to it, that can be so gut wrenching. Yeah, huge uh, to have each of them taken. And there's a designated peer, as you know, and you can have your significant other. You know mm. what you think, just kind of like what you were saying about your father. So yeah. you can kind of think, you know, my my partner, I would think that my partner thinks this. And if they did the same thing, then you can kind of see, you know, where are we right about each other? Where are yeah. we wrong about each other? And where are we different from each other? Yeah. And it is probably one of the, the few cases where you probably would be 
as safe as you can be. Just sit with down with your partner and go, look, we're going through a spiritual process. One of us is deconstructed, one isn't, but you know, it's hard for us, but maybe we could do this together. We could look at the data together. We could try and think, you know, how are we moving forward? I think that'd be create some very helpful um, avenues to pursue um, there's not that many resources out there. I know David Hateward, the naked pastor has a resource for people that are deconstructing. And I really recommend if people are struggling in that area, it's, uh, dare to, is it till doubt do as part it's called, you can find mm. that on bookstores, Amazon and stuff, but there's not much out there. And I think something like the Christian snapshot again would show, oh gosh, we actually still believe a lot of the same values. Right. Or these are the areas we right. really dis- disagree. Maybe we can revisit this in a month and talk about it and, and just think about it from the other person's perspective. And because this is, gosh, you think it's hard deconstructing and you know, you don't want to talk to your pastor about it. Imagine right. like being, right. and a lot of your listeners do not need to imagine, but you know, being yeah, right. married to someone and doing this and they're not, or vice versa is hard. I, I talk to so many people that aren't deconstructing. They message me and go, my wife or my husband is deconstructing. How do I support them? How do I, is my marriage over? Are they going to just walk away from God and I'm going to have to divorce yeah. them? Or you know, it's, it's really hard for everyone involved. And uh, and yeah, I think it's another way the tool could be used. Um, it's, it's really exciting. So it's christiansnapshot.com. And the yeah. book is Christianity Without Dogma. And yeah. you can get that online. Jack, that's amazing. If people want to reach out to you as well, you're on Instagram as well, aren't they? They can kind of track with some of your posts that you're doing and stuff. And that's Christian Consciousness, is it? It's Christian Consciousness Org. And Christian Consciousness Org. And there's a website, ChristianConsciousness.org. Brilliant. But on Instagram, Wonderful. it's Christian Consciousness Org. Wonderful. Well, Jack, honestly, this has been fantastic. I've loved it. Um, it's been a real pleasure to have you on. Kickstart Bill, 2022. Thanks for everything. It's been great. Yeah, of course. All right. Wonderful. Well, I'll catch you later. All right. That was Jack Bergstrand. I really love talking with Jack. He's a good friend. He's a wonderful guy. Um, And I think um, a lot of you that are navigating this journey are going to really enjoy his book, especially if you're trying to keep a hold of many of the components of Christianity that you have grown up loving and don't want to let go of. Um, I I think he puts forward a great um, model for how to move forward and reinvent um, our Christian faith and and approach life in a new way that doesn't have to reject uh, Jesus and his teachings, um, but can reject so much of the hurt and harm that the organization of the church has uh, brought into um, the world and brought into Jesus's teachings as well. And so I do encourage you to check out Jack. You can check him out on Instagram, uh, Christian Consciousness Org, uh, the website, christianconsciousness.org. And the book again is uh, Christianity Without Dogma. Um, and I've put a link to that in the show notes that you can check out. Um, as always, check out the deconstructionnetwork.com if you're looking to connect with other people that are deconstructed. It can be a really lonely process. Um, you can lose a lot of friends, a lot of family. It was a really tough tough, tough thing to go through. The Deconstruction Network is a free resource that helps you connect with other people in your area um, that have gone through or are going through that similar uh, process. We also do great research through that and you can get involved with our research. We're currently undergoing our second uh, research project and you can get involved with that at thedeconstructionnetwork.com slash research. Um, and if you want to support what I do, everything I do is for free. The podcasts, the resources, the research and talking with people hour after hour every day. Um, I do it all for free because we've all faced more than enough financial abuse at the hands of um, our faith traditions. Um, but you can support what I do that's the only way i can pay the bills is through people that generously give recognizing that i do this for free on on donation kind of basis 
Um, you can do that at patreon.com slash phildrysdale or phildrysdale.com slash partner. Um, as a thank you, you get access to a private discussion group on Discord. We do regular audio calls and video calls, um, Zooms, things like that. Um, and so, yeah, do check that out if that interests you. If not, no worries at all. As I said, everything will always be free. And so um, you're no uh, worse off for not being able to give. So don't worry about that. Um, and that's all for me, I think. I'm trying to think if there's anything else I want to say. I don't think so. Um, it's been a while since I've recorded a podcast. Um, but hopefully it won't be too long before um, we do another one. I'm, I'm looking at um, doing a couple of series coming out. Um, some stuff on different processes within deconstruction. Some stuff on some psychology of what's happening in, in deconstruction. Some developmental theory. I know that a lot of you are interested in some of the posts I've posted on Instagram on moral development theory and ego development theory and things like that. Some of you really love my Spiral Dynamics series um, that you can find on the podcast or on YouTube. Um, I'll probably be going into that in a bit more depth. But if you liked that, you'll definitely love some of these upcoming series that I'm looking at doing. And I'm also looking at doing some more guests so if you know of people that you think i would really love to chat to and you'd love to hear me um talk with um do let me know if you you, you have ideas for who to have on the show all right that's enough for me i love you all i hope you're doing well peace and love